You are listening to Feminist Current. I'm Megan Murphy. Cancel culture can no longer be said to be non-existent. Not with any legitimacy in any case. We've seen it happen too many times. And this time, the target is Donna Hughes, a professor at the University of Rhode Island in the Gender and Women's Studies Department. She is the founder and editor-in-chief of Dignity, a journal on sexual exploitation and violence, and has long conducted research on human trafficking, particularly the sexual exploitation and trafficking of women and girls. After publishing an article entitled Fantasy Worlds on the Political Right and Left, QAnon and Trans Sex Beliefs, the calls for her firing began. Now, the university has denounced her with no conversation. I spoke with her this week about the situation. How are you? How are you doing? How are you holding up over there? I'm I'm fine. I I really am. That's no great. problems. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> um, how long have you been working in uh, the Gender and Women's Studies Department? Well, I. Uh, took the job in 1996, and at that time it was a women's studies program, uh, and then it changed about 10 years ago to uh, gender in women's studies, and recently and recently we became a department, so now it's the gender in women's studies department. Right, and, and that was a, a trend that kind of happened across the board um, in North America that... Uh, Women's studies departments were becoming gender studies departments. Um, you know, I, I was at uh, Simon Fraser University to do my, my BA and my master's degree in women's studies, and our department name changed in, I think, around 2010. So, um, do you know, time. do you I have was... a sense of why, why that happened? Well, I opposed it. I was the, the sole vote against uh, changing from women's studies to uh, gender in women's studies. Uh, and actually, it was even a compromise to keep uh, women in the, in the, uh, in the name. Uh, yes, it had to do with moving away from the old uh, women's studies that focused on women. Uh, and, you know, the idea was that somehow we were going to do more, that gender was so much more expansive, there was more you could do with it, which I... In, in some ways, I agree, but on the other hand, it's not uh, the, the kind of thing that keeps you centered on women. And one of the things that happened after that, which was so telling, and it just told you where we were going, and that is that uh, the then director of the program said, oh, what we need to do now is go through our course catalog and everywhere that the word woman or women appears in the course description, we change it to gender. So in other words, it was she proposed a complete disappearance of women. And I thought, wow, um, you know, in the second wave of the women's movement, one of the, the things that was so important was going back and finding about the history of women and how much had been uncovered and known from the first wave. And one of the things we knew was that women had been disappeared. 
that somehow nobody remembered all those things that had occurred in, in the in the first wave and and uh, even even before going back uh, many decades. And I thought that's where this is headed. There's going to be just a disappearance of women again. Yeah, it's so interesting. Um, and again, you know that that's the same thing that happened at my university. I mean, it's the same thing that's happened at probably all the universities that had women's studies programs which right. then became focused on on gender studies and and I I there was a a kind of referendum at at my university around the name change and I also voted to stick just with women's studies and and they mm-hmm. determined they decided to turn it into gender sexuality and women's studies and then mm. also um, you know, I, I went back and looked at the, the course curriculum a couple of years ago. And um, also, you know, w- women had been erased. So all there was no there was no course that was named woman in anything. You know, when I was there, right. there was, yeah. you know, I don't know, women in media, women in right. the third world, women in work, right. women in pop culture, stuff like that. And it all became gender. Every every right. course name was a, a gender something another. Um, yes. It's strange. I wonder if you think that was I don't I don't like to frame these things as some kind of grand conspiracy theory, but I'm always trying to get at how it happened and why it happened at the same time across the board. Do you think it was intentional? You know, where did where did this push to change and erase women come from? Well, I think from? it was the yeah, I think it was the influence of postmodernism. Uh, that you can play many more word games and uh, do much more abstract analysis when you talk about gender rather than when you talk about women. Women are real. You look at, you research and talk about real women and what happens to women. Uh, And uh, I mean, that's the, the definition of women's studies is that you put women in the center of the subject and you start analyzing uh, what is happening to women or what they are doing or their history um, by placing women in the center. And, of course, with gender, they immediately thrown out of the center, um, possibly even to the side <laughs> and gone. Uh, and um, so I think it was that the influence of, of postmodernism uh, that did that. And actually, the first change, I don't know. I don't know which department or program uh, was the first to change the name. That I don't know. And do you think that, when was it that you noticed that these departments are, I mean, you can probably speak specifically to your department more so than other departments, um, started talking about the concept of gender identity? Uh... I, I actually don't know um, because it's, I became, I, I sort of stuck with the old women's studies. Uh, and that is, I was looking at researching and advocating for law changes and so forth for sex trafficking, prostitution, commercial sexual exploitation. And that's what I did. I just uh, moved my focus over there. And of course, I we also 
uh, were researching sex buyers. So uh, men were a focus too, but we were look, asking questions about what were they what were they doing. And that really was my focus. And I just sort of, uh, I have to admit, I just sort of didn't pay much attention to the gender stuff as much. It wasn't concrete and it wasn't something that I could uh, advocate for new laws or new policies or shelters uh, for, for victims, go to conferences where we actually talked, where there were victims there who were, who were victim leaders. And uh, it was uh, a very solid movement and, and still is. Um, but, you know, we didn't play with gender. Yeah. And when was it that you did start to paying attention to what was happening around gender identity ideology and trans rights activism yeah. and those actually, kinds of things? Yeah, it's actually relatively uh, recent. I mean, I know Jan Raymond and uh, have, you know, have a copy of her transsexual uh, empire from, you know, decades ago. Mm-hmm. And I know Sheila Jeffries and I bought her books all the time. And so I knew there was a discussion about this. And, uh, you know, I was reading a little bit about it, but I have to say it was only in my peripheral vision. Uh, it's like, yeah, okay, I see something's gone on over there. But I didn't, really did not understand the magnitude of it till, till relatively recently. And where I really started looking uh, around was that uh, I've been involved in opposing decriminalization of prostitution. Uh, in various places, including uh, the state where uh, where I teach in, in Rhode Island. And increasingly, we saw uh, transgender activists showing up uh, for uh, trying to influence the law, testifying uh, before hearings and so forth. And that's what really what made me start paying attention, like uh, because I could see they had a very different agenda. Uh, than we did. Uh, we were working for the uh, health and welfare of, of victims. And when did you begin speaking out? Really, only relatively recently. Um, uh, actually, the only thing I've ever written was the the infamous uh, fantasies article. Mm. Uh, so that and and I really did that just purely. As I start out the piece, I was sitting here in lockdown going, what is going on? Also, I think one of the things is when you when you do political work, um, you need allies. And uh, for many years, probably a good 20 years, uh, I have worked in bipartisan coalitions. I've worked with feminists. I've worked with conservatives. I've worked with Christians. Anybody who was interested in uh, assisting victims of sex trafficking, um, I, we worked with, uh, we didn't, people didn't have to check their credentials at the door or something like that. Um, and that was, that was important. And that kept me, um, really focused on the topic and, and learning how, uh, important it is to do that. Mm-hmm. So tell me a bit more about your analysis. So you you wrote um, this article for 4W, which was about what you called the the trans sex fantasy. Um, what does that mean? Well, I um, 
was wanting to focus on the fact that you it's a fantasy that you uh, can change sex. And so therefore I didn't use transgender uh, or transsexual or anything like that. I specifically said trans sex. Uh, that is the, the changing of one sex. So that's why I, I, I chose that title or that word. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you compare what you call the trans sex fantasy to, to other, um, fake news, as you say, like you, you reference QAnon and you reference, uh, anti-science approaches to COVID. I wonder, I mean, do you think that's a fair comparison? Do you think that transgenderism is comparable to a conspiracy theory? Yeah, well, so you're using the word transgenderism. I don't. In in the essay, um, I'm looking, I'm talking about ideas and fantasies. I'm really not talking about the people as much. Uh, I'm talking about the... um, belief in things that aren't true. Uh, that's what, that really was my focus. Okay. And I mean, I know it's, you could say, well, is it re- can you really separate people from ideas? But, in, but I was trying to do my best uh, to only look at the ideas and whether they were even possible or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I know that there's some uh, QAnon conspiracy uh, conspiracists up in, in Canada, but down here, and particularly around the, the election, um, they were very prominent. And I knew some relatives that started believing some of this stuff. And I was reading about uh, relatives that were just, their, their, uh, they, their relatives had just sort of disappeared into this conspiracy theory, and they absolutely couldn't talk with them anymore. Uh, they had you know, just sort of gone down the rabbit hole. And then I started reading the same thing uh, written by parents who said that, you know, their their children, their teens had just uh, sort of gone down the rabbit hole too of these ideas and uh, that they could not communicate with them anymore. And I just saw these remarkable parallels uh, that were happening. And so that was the idea was to talk about the, the uh, parallels of the false information and false beliefs. Right. So I suppose it's less so about the actual content of of QAnon per se or, you know, perspectives on COVID or transgenderism so much as it is the approach to discourse and discussion and, um, and you know, the ability to even talk about what's real and what's not. Is that sort of... Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah I, I think so. Yeah. And um, around the, the COVID was that uh, believing incorrect things about COVID, that it was a conspiracy, uh, that it was, or it wasn't real at all, uh, that merged right in with QAnon. I mean, that's one of the things is these, the ideas become, uh, they're fluid, they change over time. And QAnon may have started out, actually, it started out before uh, COVID arrived. Um, and it was all about uh, pedophiles ruling the world and so forth. But then when COVID arrived and, and conspiracy theories started arising around it, then that, that merged with QAnon. 
tell me, so you published this article, I think, was that in February? Yeah, at the end of February. Yeah, And right. And what happened? When when did the, the backlash begin? Uh, it really didn't begin for um, about several weeks when it was uh, finally discovered. And then it was sort of just flashed over into Twitter, and it was off, off and running. And this was, you know, was it students that discovered the article? Well, well, I don't know. You don't know who anyone is on Twitter. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so I don't know who it was. Um, it, it, okay, so so it sort of got amplified on Twitter. Um, and then what happened? Well, there were immediate demands for uh, the university to uh, denounce me. And it was went from a, I, it wasn't more than about, three or four days uh, from the time that someone discovered it and there were calls for my denunciation until, in fact, the university uh, released a statement uh, denouncing me. Uh, and, uh, and it was like there was almost no thought, no discussion. I mean, that's one of the things is everyone's, particularly the university, is now trying to backtrack because I've, I've called them on a violation of my free speech. And they are now, you know, using all the, the good words about, oh, we support discussion, we support debate, we uh, favor exchanges of ideas. I mean, all the, all the idealistic things that, the, that they should be doing. But to this day, not one person, either a, an administrator, a faculty member, or a student have talked to me about that piece. There haven't been any questions. There haven't been any say, oh, could we talk about this? Or what did you mean by that? Or do you, uh, uh, you know, should we have a debate about it? Nothing. There's only been condemnation and denunciation. It's so amazing. So, I mean, so what they're saying is, is anything is, so in other words, it's just what they're standing for or what they claim they're standing for about. Uh, the importance of knowledge is totally fake. Yeah, and I mean, this is this is always the approach to this particular issue um, in terms of those who are claiming that those of us who are critical of gender identity ideology or legislation, you know, claiming that we're being you know, hateful or bigoted or um, exclusionary or, you know, all of those other words people use to describe us, turf, transphobic, so on and so forth. There, right. never, there is no discussion, you know, there's right. no, there's no debates, there's no conversation. You, you very, very rarely will get a phone call from someone who's denouncing you, even if it's somebody that you know, you know, a colleague or a friend or whatever saying like, hey, just curious to know more about your thoughts on this. Yeah. No, nothing like that. <laughs> Why do you think that is? Uh, because I think they're really deep into this ideology that it, it, there's a whole set of beliefs in which you have to have, and they cannot be questioned. It, it, it is really pretty amazing, particularly that... Uh, you know, the first thing that was done was the release of the statement by the university, uh, and uh, particularly the dean of the College of Arts and Sciences. 
once again, there was no discussion. The first thing I knew was that I got a, a, an email from my chair of the department who said, we are in discussion with the provost or the dean is in discussion with the provost. We will get back to you. And then the next thing I know is the dean uh, said, we're releasing this statement. We've written this statement and any put it, we're going to release it to any news uh, organizations that ask for it. And they put it on the website. That was it. That was the extent of the quote, discuss, you know, of any kind of discussion. Mm-hmm. I mean, for that matter, they didn't even ask me if I really wrote it. <laughs> right. Can you confirm Which this is your article? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not even anything as simple as that. That's crazy. Are there yeah. other issues where the university responds in this way? I have never heard of one. And I think also one of the things that's interesting is that I'm a full professor. I have an endowed chair. I'm one of, therefore, I'm one of the senior faculty members at the university. And that they would just smear me Mm -hmm. and clearly just try to completely ruin my reputation without even a discussion, without even a sit down and talk with, uh, you know, I can't even think of anything no matter how vile <laughs> that yeah. people have actually done that have received uh, that kind of treatment. Yeah. I, had you ever talked to any of your colleagues about this issue before? Well, it, there's been things that have been discussed in, in faculty meetings and uh, so forth. And some of them actually, um, yeah, yeah, there's been talk that we have to have uh, safety trainings and and there's been discussion in the faculty meetings that we need to have a queer studies minor. Uh, so these kind of things have been talked about. But of course, one of the things that's really interesting about this that goes along with the same kind of uh, behavior, and that is no one talks about what they are. For example, it's been on our agenda or, or uh, the department's agenda to develop a queer studies minor for at least a year, maybe a year and a half. Not once have I heard anyone talk about what is it they're going to study. What is the content of a queer studies curriculum? Uh, And so I guess that goes along with it. Either you're for it or against it. And uh, and I've never said I'm against it. There's just been no discussion. I think that's so interesting. I mean, what is queer studies? Do you know? No, I have some. I I have some ideas and and uh, so forth, but uh, that's that's not what I want to talk about. I mean, sure. So I'm curious to know. So you 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 haven't really engaged in conversations with colleagues about the gender identity issue. Is that correct? You know, like has anyone else that you work with expressed concerns? Because then that would require some sort of a discussion. It would require a discussion about what is gender identity. There's never been a discussion about that. Right. There's just the the words queer studies minor. We have to get someone to teach them. We need to ask for a a faculty line uh, so we can do it. But, you know, nothing about what the goals are Mm -hmm. or what it would actually be about. I wonder if you feel that the atmosphere in academia 
has changed in recent years in terms of the approach to freedom, freedom of expression and academic freedom? Uh, yeah, I'd have to say I've never heard of anyone being denounced by an entire university the way I've just been uh, over an article they wrote. Uh, so, yeah, I've never heard of anything like this. Mm-hmm. Have any of your colleagues stepped in to defend you? Private, not within my department, no. There have been other faculty members around the, the university, uh, even students and many, many people outside of the university who have uh, written to me private, written to me privately about giving me support, uh, so forth, but nobody in the university will, will speak out. I mean, why would they? If they just saw me denounced by the whole university, uh, why they must be scared to death to speak out, other than, like I said, private emails in which they beg for confidentiality. Mm-hmm. I mean, I read, I read the the article that was in um, what is it inside. <clears throat> Uh, inside higher ed. Right, inside higher ed. And, you know, the university responds and, and says that professors have the general right to academic freedom in their teaching and scholarship, but that these rights are not boundless, however. Um, and and then the university said um, these these rights should be exercised responsibly with due regard for the faculty members' other obligations, including their obligations to the university students and their university community. What does that mean? I'm actually not quite sure where the legal uh, lines are on that, but I most certainly would say that if I believe that there are people at the university who are giving out false information, false information that is leading people to start drug, you know, hormone regimes and get surgeries. I most certainly should be speaking out. Um, I'm not. I don't. I truly do not believe that I what I am saying is harmful. I believe people's feel. Uh, there are some people's feelings being hurt, but the, but I don't believe that what I'm saying is harmful. In some ways, I, I compare it to the talks I've given for years on sex trafficking. I give very tough talks on sex trafficking, um, but I'm not criticizing the peop- the victims in sex trafficking. And right. I've never had anyone come up to me afterward, afterwards and said, oh, that's so awful what you said about victims. <laughs> no, it's clearly understood that I'm speaking out against the harm that's being done to people. And that's where this has just uh, totally gone off the rails. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, I've I've experienced the same thing. You know, you talk about women's sex-based rights. You talk about your concerns about the impact on girls or on youth in general. Um, obviously, the impact on on women and and women's spaces and women's safety mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. your treated as though you're you're attacking individuals who identify as transgender. Yeah, I've not for, for one of the things that's interesting is because the the piece is comparing QAnon 
the ideas of QAnon to the ideas of trans sex. I haven't had, I haven't received one complaint from someone who, from the QAnon side, uh, not one. Uh, I haven't even received any positive comments. Actually, well, there's been a couple people that said, I think you're right on both cases or something like that. Um, but like I said, no complaints at all about what I said about QAnon. Right. And I mean, it's, it's interesting because universities allow attacks on women who are critical of gender identity ideology at the universities. You know, I just read that Minnesota sure. State University um, is hosting an event called Let's Talk About TERFs um, in a couple days. Oh, wow. And... And I find that really offensive. You know, it's insulting. It's antagonistic. I would would and could argue that it's misogynistic. Sure. Um, and, you know, if no, we're going to... You can even see how quickly the word turf is no longer a slur. Yeah. It's, it's just a descriptor. Yeah, they're pretending it's neutral, but it, but it is a slur, and it's and it's always used in a derogatory way. People know when they're using it; they're using it as a slur. You know, it's completely it's sure. a lie. It's completely dishonest to pretend that 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 word is not intended to smear. Yeah, um, but I mean, I think it's interesting that you know that kind of event would never be perceived as. Uh, you know, offensive or an attack on, you know, maybe some female students at the university or female professors, you know, there's no consideration for how that might impact or how that might feel to to women at the university. And yet to talk about uh, gender identity critically, you know, to make the kinds of arguments that you're making around your concerns that's immediately assumed without any discussion whatsoever to be an attack. Mm, yeah. Um, one thing I just thought of that I want to go back on just a little bit, and I said that no one has spoken up for me. Mm -hmm. There have been faculty members who have written to the administration uh, saying that they support me. but uh, So they have done that, uh, but they have not, those letters have not been publicly released. I see. So that's it's just a little bit of a just wanted to make that distinction. So so what's happening right now? Is there some kind of investigation into you? Is there some kind of legal process? Well, uh, my attorney has been sending some letters uh, telling them that uh, how they have violated my rights to free speech and so forth. And I think we're just sort of working through a process and uh I, I think they're trying to figure out a little bit about what to do. I mean, because uh, they're in deep on this, <laughs> you know. Uh, I think they're, they, they really are. And I think they're probably trying to figure out, we acted too soon. Why did we not slow this down and think about what we were doing before we did it? Mm -hmm. You were recently involved in the launch of the Academic Freedom Alliance, as I understand it. What is that about? Uh, well, uh, as you, you referred to, there's just been a lot of violations of faculty's free speech uh, going on and more and more cases. And there's a couple organizations, like one is called FIRE, uh, Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, uh, and some others are cro cropping up. 
but uh, there are just so many cases, so many complaints that, uh, you know, the existing organizations can't handle them. So this organist, I was not actually involved in the in the uh, committee work or the, the sit down and drawing it up. Uh, I simply reached out to one of the people who uh, was involved in founding it, and I and I really called him just to chat. Like, man, you know what's happening? You know what's going on up here? This was before the denunciation. Um, and um, he said, well, we have this organization that we're just starting. Do you want to be a founding member? And I said, yes. I mean, I knew right away. And actually, I should go back and tell you. Okay, so I'll finish that. So that's how I became a a founding member uh, was by the invitation uh, of uh, one of the founders before the launch. And I guess I should back up a little bit and tell you how how I knew that things were going to happen. I, I shouldn't I shouldn't say that. That I, I could just tell the climate was changing. And that is that I spoke to the chair of, of my department in January. And uh, we were talking about many of the things. And she said, well, I want you to know that there's been some students have complained uh, because you are using articles by Megan Murphy. Mm-hmm. And I said, what? <laughs> and they said, yes, they don't like Megan or her, her site, Feminist Currents, and don't want you to use anything. Now, I had to, I started thinking right away, and no insult, Megan, but I've never used one of your articles. <laughs> and, and, and I, I think I said, because I knew that, I said, I don't think I've ever used an article by Megan Murphy. And they said, and she said, well, maybe it was just from her site. And uh, I said, you know, I couldn't, you know, I can't, I use a lot of material. Um, but I, anyway, she told me not to use it again because students didn't like it, they were offended uh, by things that were on Feminist Current. So I spent the next two months at least trying to think, I even went through my syllabi, where is this article that supposedly I couldn't find it? And it's only been a couple of weeks ago, I was, I, was in, I was in the shower and suddenly it came to me. A, a couple semesters ago, I made a list of websites or podcasts and things like that, that the uh, students might want to check out if they want to learn more about feminism. Here are some things you could go and listen to. Mm -hmm. And I realized that's where uh, Feminist Current was listed. Mm -hmm. So all it takes is simply to list some resources for outside use was enough that I got got complaints. I mean, that's... It's that's amazing because um, yeah, it's not it's not even as though you suggested an article to students or anything like that. You literally just listed the name of the website and said, "Hey, you can go check this out if you're interested." That's it. <laughs> oh man, this, I mean the climate. I I can't get my head around it. Um, I. Yeah. You know, that was the kind of thing that then that tipped me off that, uh, that things were likely to get a, to a lot worse. So, um, like I said, then I sort of put my call out to my friend and became involved or at least a founding member of the Academic Freedom Alliance. Mm-hmm. So do you think that this whole controversy is going to make it difficult for you to continue teaching at the university? Well, that's an excellent question. Uh, you know, what do you do when you've been denounced by 
the whole university. I, I uh, on the web on on the news website, there was also an independent uh, statement written by the faculty, signed by most of the faculty members, not all, that was released to the students. So we have a situation where I'm senior member of the of the department. I've been there longer than any of them, the highest ranking member. And the, the faculty have just released a statement denouncing me to the students. Where do, where, where, where do any of us go to the, first of all, where do I go from there? But, but also, where does the department go from there? Mm-hmm. How do they plan on going forward when they've just, when they've just denounced their senior member? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I I don't know how they are planning to go forward. I mean, how can they offer courses taught by you to students who they've said, you know, who they've 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 denounced this professor, and then they're saying, but you can take her course. <laughs> yeah. Where is it? Where it's right now, and it's not. Uh, it, it's. I can tell you what they're doing now. Is I is they're they've been trying to cancel my courses. Hmm. Uh, just get me out of the core courses and sort of push me over to the margin where I just teach my courses on sex trafficking and, and uh, or human trafficking and sexual violence, the, the courses they don't really care about. Mm-hmm. How's that going to turn out? I don't know. Interesting. I think, I think we're in entirely new ground. Yeah, I think so too. Um, so, you know, how can... Is there a way that people can support you? Well, um, there there might be. Uh, it, there was something that was just discussed in an email this morning that I most certainly can't talk about yet. Uh, well, one of the things they can do, of course, is write to the administration, write to the dean, write to the provost, write to the department chair, and uh, express your support. But I realize from the emails I'm getting that most of the people are too afraid to. If you write a letter like that, there's an expectation that you would give your name and where you work. And I can tell you from the emails I'm getting, there's no way that people are going to do that. I'm getting emails from graduate students. I'm in my program, and I absolutely can't say anything to anybody. I don't know how I'm even going to write my thesis without talking about certain things. Um, and I'm scared to death that, you know, someone's going to find out what I really think. So, and these are graduate students. And I'm also getting emails from other faculty members or from faculty members in other universities who they've been denounced to. And over what sounds like the silliest things that, uh, that they're just, you know, everyone is ganged up on them. And the administration supports this. It's one thing if you think you had sort of a... a, a a, a little cobble of faculty members who <laughs> sort of stepped over the line, you would expect that the administration would step in and say, uh, wait a minute, what's going on over here? Let's, uh, I think we need to talk about this. I mean, you know, we need, need to have some respect. We need to have some guidelines. We need to draw some rules, that kind of thing. But that's not happening either with me or with these other universities. In fact, it's the administration uh, joins in or remains silent. We have a, a, a the president and the provost at University of Rhode Island have been totally silent. It's like they don't exist. 
I mean, would it be useful for others to write into the university who are outside of academia, or is that yes. not? Yeah. Yes. No, I absolutely think it, it would, mm-hmm. because some of the emails that I'm getting saying, I'm not sending my kids to University of Rhode Island if that's the way they, you know, behave towards the faculty members. Uh, so, yes, I'm I'm definitely getting emails from people who, uh, whose respect for the university has has dropped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they sure. do need to know from the they do need to hear from the general public. Yeah. Um, okay. Is there is there someone specific they should direct these letters to? I'm sure there'll be people well, listening who want to support yeah. you. Okay. The uh, chair of the department is Rosaria Pisa. The last name is P-I-S-A. And if you go to the Gender and Women's Studies Department website, uh, you'll see her email there. The next person up the ladder is uh, the dean, uh, Jeanette Riley. And you can find her as the dean of the College of Arts and Sciences. Uh, and those two have been deeply involved uh, in, in what has happened as, as far as either uh, circulating statements, releasing statements. Um, and then the third person, the next up, would be the provost, whose name is Donald DeHayes. And you could look up provost Donald DeHayes. He needs to know that these letters and people's opinions are coming in, but he has been totally silent on it. He's just let it run. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, uh, you know, despite what uh, some of the the students at your university might think, we do have a quite large audience, so I suspect there will be people listening who want to write and support you. Um, And I'm glad to hear that you're doing okay. You sound, you don't sound too uh, distraught about the whole situation. And I'm, I'm glad that you're speaking up because, you know, somebody has to. Right. Yeah. So thank you so much for talking with me today. It was really, it was good to connect with you despite the uh, not so positive circumstances. But yeah, it was nice to speak with you. Okay. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you so much. You just heard an interview with Donna Hughes, a professor at the University of Rhode Island in the Gender and Women's Studies Department. That is all the time we have for today. I'm Megan Murphy. Thanks for tuning in to Feminist Current. You can find us online at feministcurrent.com, tweet at us at Feminist Current, or send us an email at info at feministcurrent.com. We are hosted by Libsyn, and you can subscribe to the Feminist Current podcast anywhere you like to listen iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, Spotify, and beyond. You can even give us five stars and a review on iTunes. Feminist Current is produced and hosted by myself, Megan Murphy, out of Vancouver, BC. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider making a donation to support our work. Just visit feministcurrent.com and click the donate button.